Well, this episode of Driving the Sea Bus, I uh, welcome a real good friend of mine and uh, a mentor as well as a, a pillar here in the community of Central Ohio, former Buckeye broadcaster, entrepreneur, Ronnie Stokes. He's going to talk with Kayla and I about all the different things that, uh, that he's done, some of his life lessons, how he's become an entrepreneur, and included his family in some of the uh, many things that he does for a living, as well as being a broadcaster on 97.1, the fan for the Ohio State University Buckeye basketball team. So let's buckle up and enjoy the ride. Well, welcome to another edition of Driving the Sea Bus. Uh, we've got a, a special guest with us today, Mr. Ron Stokes, who's a, um, a pillar of the community. Uh, he's all, I also work for Mr. Stokes. We'll get into that here in a little bit. Um, and uh, so does Kalen. And uh, but we're we're really excited to have Ron here, who's a local legend, entrepreneur, <laughs> father, grandfather, and uh, all around good guy. So, Ronnie, welcome to the program. I am uh, uh, very uh, excited about being on the program today, and thank you for all those complimentary things you said about my company and myself. Well, you're welcome. Now, you 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 know, kind of a household name here in town, right? I mean, because back in the buck with the Buckeyes, <laughs> you played. You got to start with the Buckeyes. <laughs> so you uh, uh, you you played for basketball for Ohio State and. Uh, and obviously did really well. You played with Troy Taylor and Granville Waiters mm-hmm. and, and all those guys. Tell me about those days and uh, what was that like, that experience at Ohio State? Well, I'm an Ohio native. I was born and raised in Canton, Ohio back in uh, uh, 1963. Go Bulldogs. Yep. There you go, Kaylin. So um, I was very uh, obviously um, excited when Ohio State uh, offered me a scholarship when I was playing at Camp McKinley. And I uh, was looking at uh, some other Big Ten schools, but Columbus was my home. Um, from my second home, I should say, because my mom was going to be able to drive to the games, uh, my family and friends, and then, of course, my girlfriend, LaVita, at the time, now my wife for 36 years. So that was important, too. But, um, yeah, so so I came down to Columbus and, and uh, started right away and uh, was able to get out there and play and had some, some productive years, had some great teammates, as you just mentioned. And uh, it was a fun time. And, uh, as I said, Columbus is, is basically my second home my second hometown, as I call it. So I love being down here and living and raising my family. That's wonderful. I know there's a lot of, uh, let's say, assumptions about what it might be like to be a college athlete, especially one at The Ohio State University. Tell us a little bit about what that experience is like, um, you know, outside of the the fun, shiny moments that you have. Well, clearly it's different now because of social media. You know, back when I played, it didn't have the Internet and any of those things. And maybe that was a good thing, (laughs) right? Didn't get in trouble with uh, texting and saying some things you regret. But um, it, it clearly you're still in a bubble because, uh, let's face it, Ohio State is one of the most recognizable um, universities in the entire world uh, in terms of from their academics and athletics. So when you go there to play basketball, Caitlin, you're, you're definitely going to be looked at and watched and every day. You're on TV, you're on the radio. And so you have to make sure that you're taking care of your business, right? Um, make sure that you're uh, doing what you need to do as a student athlete, and uh, you don't want to do anything to embarrass mom and dad back home. Mm-hmm. So uh, so you had to really make sure that you're doing the right thing. How do you think, uh, I mean, in the day, the, the time of name, image, and likeness, which is something that you helped us get involved with, you know, uh, Ronnie, I don't know if anybody knows the story of that. Probably not. But uh, Ron called me. I've been thinking about doing it. And Ron called me, uh, I don't know, it's been some time ago, uh, and said, hey, Scott, you know, we really ought to probably get on to this name, image, and likeness thing. Uh, you really got some. We got some quality kids that could could really help uh, carry a message. And and 
And uh, that's about all I needed to hear. And and so uh, Ron made a couple introductions. We we uh, negotiated some stuff, and and uh, now we're in the name and image and likeness uh, uh, space, I guess, not the business, but the space with uh, some quality people: Haskell Garrett and EJ Liddell. Yeah, it was, it's interesting, you know, being on the board, and obviously uh, my my role in that in that position is to to bring innovation and bring some ideas and so forth. And obviously, when the name and likeness came about. I said, Scott, you need to consider it, and then obviously you took the lead and and uh, reached out to those guys and 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 figure out what was needed on both sides, and uh, collectively uh, the parties agreed on something. and And I'm excited that um, there's a number of athletes that are taking advantage of that all over the country, and specifically Ohio State. And um, I, even in talking with Gene Smith, I know there's something that he stands behind that, and and the fact that these student athletes are able to benefit from their name and and their likeness, that's a good thing. Everybody wins in that if it's done the right way. Exactly. Yeah, and we're trying to do it the right way as well, you know, with our, our bank on community banking, relationships matter campaign. Um, you know, and so far we've already had the athletes out to some schools talking to to young people about the the, the positive things that can happen uh, in your life if you have a relationship with your community banker and, and the importance of financial education and all those things. Um, and as a student athlete, you had um, – uh, a somebody that was a mentor to you, right? In the in this area, and that's why you've kind of become an entrepreneur, or one of the impetus uh, reasons why you became an entrepreneur and doing the things you're doing today. Yeah, great, great point, Scott. Uh, in anything that you do in life, you need other people to help you. I don't care whether it's in Amen. business, uh, whether it's uh, in school and whatnot. And I, I had the uh, incredible opportunity to meet a guy by the name of Doug Simpson, who uh, who's a, a local biz, a bank owner here in town, and. And I met him when I was about 18 years old, and uh, he— First City Bank, by the way, folks. <laughs> yep, Good community first, bank right here in our bank. community. Yep, First City Bank. And at the time, they had a mortgage company, too. And so uh, Doug uh, did a, a bunch of things for me. He helped me study through some really difficult classes uh, and uh, accounting and statistics. I had some tough ones with that. Uh, accounting 211 and 212. St- mm-hmm. Statistics 133, I think it was. And uh, he helped me get through those classes. But more importantly, you know, he, he gave me some guidance in terms of what I need to do in my development as not only a, uh, an athlete, but a, uh, as a person. And I worked for his bank part time to make some extra money. And at that point, Kaylin, you were not allowed to work during the season. Okay. So I worked there during the winter breaks. Yeah to put some extra money in my pocket, but also I learned about banking. Mm-hmm. And then um, it, it was my first job out of school. Uh, I did mortgage loans for about five years. So it definitely, Scott, it set the foundation um, for what I'm doing today because as a business owner, uh, a, a great banking relationship is one of the most important things you need as you grow as a business. Well, and it's really interesting that you bring that up. You know, one of the questions I wanted to ask is, is you know, what kind of gaps do you see for student athletes today? You know, I, I was not a college athlete, but I was an athlete in high school. Mm-hmm. I was a very dedicated athlete. Um, and, and, you know, one of the things that I struggled with was, who are you when you're no longer an athlete? Yeah. And how do you how do you bridge the gap between being an athlete and being a professional? And you said something earlier about, you know, being a student athlete kind of comes with the turf of, of uh, kind of a sense of professionalism. Mm-hmm. You don't want to embarrass mom and dad. You are representing the school. Tell me a little bit about, you know, h- how did you bridge that gap and, and how can this um, name, image and likeness program kind of help students today? Yeah, one of the things that um, most I don't say this negatively, but most regular students who are not athletes, don't realize is the demands. I mean, obviously, just being a student, there's tremendous demands on getting good grades and 
going to class every day and studying and being properly prepared to take tests and all those things. And I never forget uh, the Saturdays and the Sundays. I would be walking across the Oval and I would see students taking a little break and whatever. And I would like, man, I wish I could, I wish just, I could yeah. take a break. Yeah. I got to get to the gym. We had practice, right? We yeah. had practice. So many days you wake up early, you go to class all day. And then you go to practice, you practice for two and a half hours. And if you're injured, you, you get nicked up, you get treatment. Then you go to a training table and then you go home and study. And then it starts all over again on Monday through Friday and then Saturday and Sunday. And then you throw in the fact that you're traveling, missing mm-hmm. class. Again, I'm I'm privileged that I played. I'm sure. not you know, saying that uh, there's anything negative about that, but there's tremendous demand. So I, I think the most important thing as a student athlete is just balancing your schedule and making sure that you are allocating what you need to do as a student athlete. But ultimately what it, what happens is it, it that transcends, it transitions into your life after basketball because mm-hmm. you can take some of those skill sets and, and make sure that uh, you utilize them in life. What do you think some of the most important skill sets that you gained from being a student athlete were that kind of led you to where you're at and the success you've seen since? Biggest thing is discipline. Yeah. Discipline and understanding sacrifice, right? As a freshman, especially if you play on a good team, you're not going to play as much as you like. So you got to understand patience and, and working hard and getting through some of that stuff because there's tough days. You're in practice two hours. You get beaten up, beat up on every day with the juniors and seniors, and you're mm-hmm. not playing as much as you like. And then the other thing is being coachable because you have to, you had a head coach, you got assistant coaches, you got teammates. And so that helps you in a work environment, right? Because you, you got to be able to work with other people. So those are the two things that I really benefited from, from being a student athlete. Now uh, you are broadcasting, yeah. right, with the Buckeyes uh, on 1460, the fan 97.1. Uh-huh. Uh, tell me about that whole thing. I mean, hanging out with Skip and uh, yeah, and yeah. Paul Keels and those guys, I mean, uh, and, and talking about all the different things that happen uh, with the basketball program, that's really got to be rewarding. Oh, man, I, hopefully I got this right. You're number 25 for me as the uh, analyst. Wow. It's a fun it's gig. silver anniversary. Yeah, it's a fun gig. Um, and one of the things about being a student athlete, Kaylin, is that, especially at Ohio State, you're going to have to talk to the media mm-hmm. <laughs> as part of the dig. Ohio State sports is pretty important around here. People want to hear what you got to say. So um, it was natural for me to talk uh, and articulate my thoughts. And so once I graduated from Ohio State, um, the station called me and asked me to do some uh, some interviews from time to time. And it was natural for me and I enjoyed it. And then that led to pre and post game. Um, uh, position, and then ultimately they offered me the position to be the the analyst, and I took it, and I haven't looked back. And what kind of preparation, you know, people just tune into the game, right, and they get their beer, bowl of chips, and sit down and start <laughs> watching the game. But you can't do that, right? I mean, before you go into a game, you have to prepare and, and such. So what kind of preparation goes into a game uh, during the week? Yeah, it's, it's just like anything else. You learn uh, the disciplines of preparing for anything, whether it's studying for a test or uh, preparing for a big presentation uh, for for a sale, um, you have to make sure that you do the homework. And so, again, thanks to the internet, you, I can go on and do pretty much do any search I want. Um, I, I get a lot uh, on the respective teams' uh, sports website. There's a tremendous amount of information there. But uh, I typically take uh, three days before a game, and I'll just begin to um, understand who's on the roster, who left who's coming back, who scored the most points, all those things. And I love listening to interviews of players and coaches after wins and losses because I like mm-hmm. to hear their reactions. And then um, that that's kind of like how I prepare for things. One of the things I've learned in 25 years, I had to turn it on and off. 
I have this rule now where I don't think Ohio State basketball until October 15th. I don't. So when people see me in the summer and they ask me about the team, I say, I don't know. Who did they just recruit? I said, I don't know. I turn it off after the last game in, in March or, or April, hopefully in April, and then um, I don't turn it back on until October the 15th. Well, it's not like you don't have enough going on, right? <laughs> other I things, had to do that, actually. Other things, I had to do it. That's right. Yeah, well, you got a lot, lots of other things to, yeah, to think about. Well, that's very interesting. You know, we I think you're the first broadcaster we've had on the podcast, so, yeah. really? so you got that notch in your belt <laughs> okay. now, too. All right. Hey, um, but let's shift gears a little bit and talk about you know some of the other things you've done with your family businesses. So now yeah. you have Three Leaf Productions, you have Lars, you, and then you have a couple other LLCs for real estate holding companies. Companies. Right. Um, tell me about how you got maybe into. Uh, I think Three Leaf was your first. Uh, mm-hmm. First, tell me about how you decided I wanted to work for myself and 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 taking that on, and then uh, and then maybe the growth of some of your other uh, activities. Yeah, but I had a, a entity in Cleveland, Ohio, that had reached out to me about potentially buying one of their smaller entities, and he wanted to uh, work and mentor. A, um, a, uh, a diverse company. So he sold it to me and I, uh, I bought, it, bought it in 2003 and then he mentored me the first three or four years and then I bought him out and then Three Leaf Production just continued to evolve. It's a printing, marketing, warehouse and fulfillment and a promotional items company. And um, so very excited about that. We have a great team that we've developed over the years and the thing that I'm very proud and excited about with that company is we got people that's been working there for over 12 years. Wow. So that what tells a testament me, yeah, to the culture yep. you have there. Tells me that things are going well. And then the other one, Lars LLC, that's one I'm really passionate about because the the initial stands for my kids, uh, Laurel, Amber, Ronnie, and Sydney. A lot of people thought it was uh, Levita and Ronnie for my wife and I, but yep. it was really for my four children. So each of the kids have an ownership piece of the company and uh, having a legacy business for my children was very important. So, uh, so again, here we are. I mean, you got Three Leaf Productions and Lars LLC, and both companies are growing. And we're excited. They're they're homed in uh, Gahanna, Ohio, which is uh, we've lived for quite some time. So, really excited about life right now. And are your kids currently involved in the business? Yes. What yes. do they What do they do there? Yeah. So we'll start with uh, Ron Jr. He's emerged as the one of the four children that really wants to drive this. He's uh, recently been provo- promoted to vice president. Congratulations, yeah. Ronnie. Yeah, so he's running go. running the operations for the painting division. That's amazing. And he's also overseeing all of the real estate properties that we have under Lars. So he's a busy guy right now. He's yeah. recently married, and he's excited about life. We'll have life. to get him on the podcast sometime yeah. soon. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, yeah. So he's excited about life. So And then Laurel... Um, She's married now, Laura Gourier. She's um, she works in our, our a payroll department and a project manager, and she does a great job in that. And then Amber is like a she's like a, a utility person. She works in all the aspects of the of the business. And Sydney helps on our website and development okay. things like that. So those they're 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 all four are involved in wow. the company. How did they become involved in the company? Was that something that you kind of you know explored with them, or did they come to you and say, Dad, I want to get involved in this? Yeah, great question. We. Even before we had Lars, we had what we call family board meetings. Okay. Where we would sit down and, and sit at a table and have real discussions about life and supporting each other and whatever. And so once uh, we were looking at uh, creating Lars, we sat down with the kids and say, you know, would you like to be a part of this? And they all said yes. And um, and that's how it all started. So, you know, we have regular board meetings with that, that company and they are actively involved with the decision making and it's really exciting. Yeah. It really is. Wow. 
That's awesome. Yeah, we know a little bit about having folks in the family business. Uh, you know, it started with my, you know, me working for my dad, and I know, and then now Kaylin's in the business. Uh, Kaylin's new husband is uh, in the business. They met at the bank, and so it's becoming more and more of a family affair once again. So, um, yeah, I it's think not we'll, all peaches and cream. We've no. got we have no, our moments. We have our you know some disagreements at the unofficial board meetings we that's have okay. around the dinner table. But yeah, I think that's you know number one. That I we're think not allowed that, to have according to your mother. Well, that's yeah. okay. She's not in the board. Quit uh, having a board meeting. Quit <laughs> having a board meeting. <laughs> no, I think that those are important though. You know, I think that it's important to challenge each other. And obviously, there's a lot of times that I've learned from my dad. And, and, you know, either successes or mistakes that he may have made. And hopefully there's times that he can say that about myself as well. And I think that, you know, it's a double edged sword. Yeah, it might be painful in the moment, but I think that, it, number one, it's deepened our relationship as father and daughter. And, you know, professionally, it's grown me more than I could even explain. That's so. awesome. She's my young grasshopper. <laughs> <clears throat> So uh, tell me, um, just diving more into the business world, you know, uh, it, when, when you work with your family, that creates another dynamic that you uh, that's a, a positive thing. It can it can sometimes be, you know, challenging. Um, but what would you say, you know, in, in this day and age, what are some of the headwinds, you know, that that you that you're facing in your business uh, within the uh, three leaf and large? Well, obviously, um, what we all learn from the pandemic is you have to be able to pivot because there's things that happen in the world that you just do not have control over. And, you know, just you just take three leaf productions, for example, we part of what our core part of our core competencies is that we print. Right. Well, guess what? Over the last 10, 15 years, people are waking up every day thinking of ways to eliminate print. So you have to evolve your business to make sure that you're still relative and and you can bring value uh, propositions to your client. So I think the biggest challenge in any business and especially ours is that we got to continue to evolve, continue to find ways to help our clients understand our customers and make sure that we're bringing value to them. Um, you know, part of the family uh, part of it, too, I got this, got this from some of my mentors in business, is that I encourage all my kids to go out and work professionally for someone else if they could, and then come back into the company and then work for uh, LaVita and I. And we've been, it's been really, really good. Our kid, we, we are so fortunate to have great kids. They get a great head on their shoulders, and they respect us. They understand uh, a lot of things that uh, I think well beyond their years right now. And uh, I think that's really helped LaVita and I be good good owners because our kids respect us and they, they've done a great job. Now you talk about, uh, um, you know, right now the, the big issue with labor, mm-hmm. um, with, you know, you talk about COVID and we're coming back from COVID. And and uh, it, what, what are some of the challenges that you have there, finding qualified people to, to keep in the ranks and, and get the work done? It, it has not has been disruptive on the three-leaf production side. Um, but on the Lars LLC side, it, it has been. We have a division that's in painting, and then when you paint, you need individuals who can paint. And uh, our, the labor uh, world has definitely been disrupted, so we had to make sure that uh, we identify people who could do or meet the expectations that we want, and to and to a great to do a great job. It's it's a continual battle. I've had many discussions with Ron Jr. and some of my other colleagues in the business about how do we continue to find labor? How do we continue to evolve? Um, uh, our painting um, personnel right now, the, their aggregate age is in the 50s. And so we have to find younger guys who want to be in that space and then continue to train them. So 
uh, that's going to be our the most important thing for us and from a painting standpoint. And where are you looking for talent like that, especially, you know, with the younger generations? You know, you go to career fairs, you know, are you just getting referrals? How, how are you looking for those individuals? Man, that is a great question. And it's a challenge. Uh, you know, Ron and Ron Jr. and I, we sit down quite a bit about that very subject. Uh, you know, I've challenged him to go out and reach uh, reach out to the uh, the counselors at the various schools, uh, Gehanna as well. Mm-hmm. And just trying to identify individuals who may have an interest. Um, the one thing, unfortunately, about painting is that it's not "quote unquote" a glamorous thing, right? You know, I, do you, as a sixteen or seventeen year old, do you wake up saying, "Man, I want to be a painter," right? right? No, no, they they want to do something else that might be a little bit more exciting. But what you find out, especially in the construction trade, you can make some very, very good money. Absolutely, you know, especially with what's getting ready to happen in the the country. With as you said, Scott, this labor disruption. There's some great opportunities to make good money. So that's what we try to do. It's like, hey, not that money is the most important thing. It's not, but it's it is important though. So we try to say, look, if you want to do this. Here's the opportunity of how much money you can make. And if this is important to you, a part of what's important to you, you can do that or obtain it in painting. And are you ever, you know, are you having the conversations of, hey, look, you can you can be a painter without having to be a career painter. You know, maybe this is just a stepping stone Mm -hmm. where, you know, you're getting yourself through college or maybe you just don't know what you want to do yet. And you're not going to college and you don't want to spend the money to do that. But you need an income in some other way. Yeah, we talk about that. We do have some some individuals that. Uh, has taken on that role where they're kind of like dipping their toe in it a little sure. bit. And uh, there's positions on jobs where you don't necessarily have to paint all the time. You can do some other things, clean up, demo, and things like that. And um, and then they'll figure it out if they want to do it long term. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're looking at every aspect yeah. because it's really a challenge, and not just for painters, but in the construction industry to yeah. find qualified individuals, especially on the younger side, who want to be in this business and thrive in it. Painting has... Uh, you know, uh, their stair steps of, of people, too, just like electricians have mm-hmm. journeymen and mm-hmm. such and so forth. I mean, to know how to paint the right way is a art. Oh, it takes time. And mm-hmm. you can, and, I mean, you don't waste as much. Shit, so. uh, oh, I know. I I'm not it. a, I'm like, slap it up there. You know, I'm not a trim guy. I'm like, give me the roller. I'm your guy. You well, know? that's but, why we're in the, that's why we're in the business. Exactly. <laughs> that's right. Guys like me have no skill. Uh, and we'll just going to hire it out. But, but I tell you, it's, it's a, it's a, uh, uh, People can have a really good living for themselves. I think that's something that's changing now in America, too. I, I, I really see the tide turning where people are, are understanding that there's there's pride in work. There's pride in uh, – there, there's pay in work. There's all kinds of things. You don't necessarily have to go spend four years at a college and get a degree to right. go out and do you know exactly. something else. You know? mm-hmm. And, and, uh, and who knows? You know, people can go out on their own when they, when they learn that trade, too, work for themselves. Um, I've got several friends of mine that are from high school, and they, that's what they do. They go out and hang wallpaper, for instance. I got one guy mm-hmm. out and hangs wallpaper for a living. That's what she does. Makes a really good living at it because you know, if you can hang paper, why? I need, I need too. their phone number. Well, there uh, you yeah, go. Yeah, yeah. Well, you got to well, give me that. And I, I just let me segue and t- tap on what you just said. So one of the most exciting things I see is like when we're managing our properties and we'll bring in someone, whether it's an electrician, masonry or whatever, and to see that father and son coming in and working and doing a great job and seeing that legacy. I get, Ronnie and I just smile when we see that. And I, I get so thrilled when I when I see that that atmosphere. So. Yeah, yeah, not to mention that there's there's peace in painting. Mm-hmm. I mean, let's face it. I mean, you don't have to do, generally deal with the public. You can yep. kind of do your thing. Yep. You can listen to your favorite radio station, right, as you're going along and doing your stuff. It's just a different kind of existence. So peace is out there. 
Um, and maybe it's in painting. Who knows? Yep. You never know. That's right. Yeah, so along the, those lines, you know, we talk about um, uh, folks working together and uh, and building teams and that kind of stuff. So that's, again, something else that comes from your, really your background as an athlete, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I as I said a little earlier, the, the one of the things I learned was about working as uh, with your teammates and being coachable and all those things. And and that's so important, especially as the president and CEO of Three Leaf Productions. When I sit down with the team members and we're having meetings and discussions, uh, I want to put myself in their position and hear what they have to say. And I do have one um, thing that has to happen before you come to my office is you have to be solution oriented, right? It's it's not just a one way street. Let's talk about it. Let's figure out. Come in and yes, you can identify a problem, but let's also bring us some potential solutions and let's talk about what it takes. To get to the end, we all want to win, right? We all want to win to come take care of our customers and grow the company and accomplish our individual goals, team goals. But um, let's be a team-oriented uh, atmosphere, and that's that's really important at Relief Productions and at Lars. I that's, love that. And I know you, we've talked a lot about, you know, things you like to see and things that make you really happy. I kind of want to get down to the maybe not-so-fun parts, you know. Tell me about some things that maybe keep you up at night. Well, you know, you, you wear a bunch of hats as the owner and 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 as a good owner. And, and we hope that Levita and I, we are good owners of companies. You care about your team and you want to make sure that you're making decisions. That's what's best for your customers, which ultimately leads to what's best for the company. And because those individual people that work for you, they have families. And mm-hmm. so it's not just if you got 10 people in your company or 20, it's not just a 10 or 20. There's another maybe 10, 20, 30, 40 people that are also re, uh, relying on that income coming from that job. So that's the one thing that as an owner that you can never turn off. I don't care what time of the day it is. You always want to make sure you're taking care of your team. Yeah. You want to make good decisions. So that's the one thing over the years that have kept me up at night at times is just making sure I'm making great decisions. And has there been any times where maybe you were super confident in a decision you made and then after the fact, maybe maybe not so much and, and kind of learn from that experience? You know, Caitlin, one of the things I learned from my, my mentor, Doug Simpson, um, and this is so simplistic and everybody does this or in some shape or form or fashion, but how to make decisions. Mm-hmm. So he, as an 18 year old, he sat me down and says, Ron, pull out a piece of paper and on one side, write all the reasons why you should do it. And on the other side, write all the reasons why you shouldn't do it. Right. And then look at it and counsel with people that you love and trust and pray about it and 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 live with the decision you make. And that's see how simplistic that is. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people don't do that. Sure. Right. And so Doug taught me to do that at age 18. And by doing that, I've made some really, really good decisions that has helped my business that we're benefiting from as a business owner and as a family because I went through that process. Now, to your to your point, you just got to live with the decision because sometimes you can do all of that. And it doesn't work out. Sure. But at least you can feel good that you went through that process. Yeah. And then you can be comfortable with the decision, regardless of what the end result may be. It sounds like you had a really good mentor that that shaped you in a lot of different ways. What would you say to people out there? Maybe people that are my age in their early twenties that, well, I guess I'm not really in my early twenties in my anymore. Mid twenties. Mid twenties. What would we'll, you say we'll give to? You a <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, what would you say to people out there who who are earlier in their early in their career that maybe don't have a mentor? Wow, you got to find one because um, I learned this early. You can't rely on just how you think and feel, right? You're just not smart enough, right? I mean, I'm I'm 58. I'll be 59 here soon, and I'm still learning. 
still learning at my age. So if you're 22, 23, 24, you desperately need someone and you got to find a place to get it right. Um, Try to get around people that are have your same goals in terms of want to be successful. Not that you're judging anyone. Right. But you want to get around people who want to be successful and want you to be successful at the same time, who want who 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 get excited when you're winning. That's important. Getting around people who are excited about when you're winning. And so but again, try to find a mentor if you can, wherever it may be, whether it's at church, whether it's at uh, some kind of league you're in. Whatever, find people that want you to win, and now uh, that's key. And if you don't find that person, uh, uh, shame on you. You got to find them. I don't, yeah. I don't know what else to say. And those change over time too. I mean, it's not like you have to have the same mentor forever. I no. Mean, I look back at my career and I see all the different people that helped me, and they help. And I, I have stories to this day of every one of them. How they helped me, how they impacted my career, the simple things they taught me. Um, and, uh, you know, as an entrepreneur, I guess the, the mind, the big thing, and I'll ask your opinion on this too. My, I learned more from my gut. I was taught to listen to my, listen to my gut. If my gut tells me it's wrong, it's usually wrong. Mm-hmm. I mean, 90% of the time. And so if you feel bad about something, don't let any of the other, uh, right. factors, you know, that you on either side of the page, uh, dictate what you should do. You know, you got to follow your, your instincts. Well, I go back to what I just stated uh, in terms of my decision-making process. At the end of the day, once you write all those things down and you talk to two people, 20 people, whatever, you have to go with what you feel is right, your gut, right? And you got to trust it. And if you just go through that process, I kind of feel good with my gut, right? And I just go with it and you just live with it. I I love that analogy of that. Well, you know, just shifting gears here to maybe one of our final topics, you know, you're a new board member of Heartland Bank mm-hmm. as well. And so uh, you've been on the board now for uh, just what, under a year, right? Just under a year. Yeah. yeah. And uh, um, and obviously we go through that whole process. You've seen that um, mm-hmm. even though there's a lot to learn and everything else. How has that experience been for you? And then how have you been able to take, uh, you know, some of the things that you're learning maybe in your business and in life and, and, and apply that to the leadership of the board of directors? Well, I absolutely love the fact that I was um, – uh, asked to be considered and uh, went through that process, that vetting process. And then ultimately when it all was said and done, just thrilled because uh, I've been a customer of Heartland uh, for a number of years and love the energy starting with, with your leadership all the way down and dealing with all the branches and all the people there. So when I had the opportunity to be a part of it in a bigger way, I was just so excited. Um, but it's a two-way street, right? I'm learning. And at the same time, I feel that I have some skill sets to help the bank. And I'm really so excited. I know that when we had lunch and we talked about this early on, I shared with you a little bit of what some of my goals were. And I clearly want to continue to work towards those things and help the bank grow. And uh, and equally as important, help the communities where the bank serves. What are some of those goals? Because I, I was not at the lunch, so I was not privy to that. <laughs> well, well, obviously, um, you know, being a diverse business, yeah, uh, I know how important that having a relationship with a bank is in your business development. I was very unfortunate because my first mentor was a banker, sure. right? so I already had a banking relationship. But there's a lot of small businesses, especially diverse companies, that don't have those relationships. I can't tell you how many times I got phone calls from small business owners during the PPP process who didn't have a bank or didn't have a relationship or didn't know what to do. And I like, 
wow, I just took it for granted because I just would call my guy, Kelly Law, or at, at uh, Heartland, and you know, I got other bank relationships too and other companies, and I would just call them on the phone and they would just give me all the information I wanted, whether, and sometimes on a Saturday or a Sunday. Right. A lot of small, diverse businesses don't have those relationships. Yeah. And I just took it for granted. So one of the things that I talked about with Scott is making sure that in, in my role that we have some type of vehicle or some type of strategy to help those small, diverse companies. Absolutely. I love that. No, I I see that all the time. You know, for a a short period of time, I managed our Clintonville office. And if there's anything that I learned about Clintonville is that there's a lot of mom and pop shops around Uh there. And and yeah, it it was just wild to me how... um, there were just so many people out there that didn't have that relationship. Yep. And, and once you meet with them and, and you tell them, no, this is what we're all about. This is what we're here for. And and that's kind of what got me into banking in the first place was, was exciting, creating those relationships and realizing, you know, I, I have a, a heart for helping people. Mm-hmm. And I always thought growing up that, oh, you need to be a doctor. You need to be a vet. You know, you need to be all these different things, which required a lot of schooling. And we already talked ahead of time. I'm not a school person. I don't do well in a classroom. <laughs> and so I kind of thought, well, there's no real way I can help people. And, and this was a way that we could do that. So um, Man, I, I'm I heard very... a marketing line there. I have a heart for helping people. <laughs> well, that's, there we go. We gotta write that one down. Well, well, that's why we now. came up with uh, you know relationships matter. Bank on community banking because that's really what it's all about. Yeah, having those relationships generally, whether it's banking or anything else, that's really what makes the world go round. Yep. You know, uh, paying homage to those that uh, help us down life's road and and treasuring those relationships, learning from our mentors, all those things are. Uh, put together is what makes us whole and who we are. When I love that that was one of your goals, too, as as a board member. I think that's also super important is not only, yes, how can we get Heartland's name out there, but it's it's more than that. You know, it's how can we help the people that truly need the help? Mm Mm-hmm. Now, Ronnie and I, just so you know how we met, Uh-oh. okay? Now, we, we didn't meet in college because Ronnie didn't hang out on High Street like I did <laughs> I with couldn't. all the other uh, students. And uh, Good answer. Did, I couldn't. We, I was studying. We were there at the same time as well. Yeah, he was studying and, and, and making something of himself, and I was majoring in High Street at, uh, at the, the Ohio State University, which was, uh, you learned a lot of things there, and I won't go over those lessons today. But um, uh, no, actually, we, we uh, kind of uh, hooked back up one day playing golf, I mm-hmm. think, and that was during the Calcutta um, event at Jefferson Country Club, which is like the big money tournament. Mm-hmm. And so Ron signs up for this tournament and really doesn't know what he's getting into. And, no, and it's a two-day tournament. Everybody's required to bet like 200 bucks. And some of the teams go for as much as like five thousand oh dollars, and it's it's pretty much stressful golf. I mean, yes, it's it not go out and hit the ball around. We're gonna laugh and giggle and you know drink That's a few my kind beers. Of golf. It's not that at all. So, but Ron and I, Ron and I rode together. I think as well during that uh, time, and I I was I was in charge of Ron, so I was like the, the <laughs> you were the a, a player. I was the A player on the group, and I said like I will ride with Ron, and I'll keep. And he was all I was nervous. A D player. I was a D player. He was nervous, and uh, everything else is Ron. It's all right. Just you know, just don't mess up. Too too much you know we won't we won't hate you totally if you mess up a, you know not too much but no it worked out really well we had a great time there and i think that's how we uh got that's introduced we, to three leaf yep, and yep. and some other times wow. uh, just building relationships around a golf course we worked out for a while together out yep, there as well yep. over at the um, country club yeah early so, in the morning seven th- seven right. o'clock six thirty yeah that's right so ron's always been a, a big motivating factor to me because i've seen what he's done on the court i've seen how he's uh uh, orchestrated his life as he goes along, the beautiful family that you've yeah, built. Thank you. And the companies that you have, and then you do all these other things as well, you know, broadcasting and, and uh, property management and the whole nine yards. And that's another reason why I thought you'd be quality material 
to help uh, lead the future of Heartland. Yeah, thank you. And I, you know, as you said, Kaylin, I'm from Canton, Ohio, and a bunch of our uh, former athletes from Canton, we've gotten together and we had a big uh, food giveaway last year. Gave over a thousand turkeys wow. in December. We're going to do it again this year. Awesome. So giving back to my hometown. I, I, I mean, I was almost crying when I saw the long lines of people coming up and getting food last year. And it just makes you feel good. You know, going back to my days as a mortgage banker where I would help people get loans and they would sign and close on their houses. And, and then now as a business owner, helping customers, it's just come full circle. That's yeah. wonderful. Well, we're really glad you could join us today, Ron, <laughs> sharing in your life story and, and a lot of the wisdom that you've gotten over the years from Mr. Doug Simpson at First City Bank. So <laughs> need another uh, good community bank in Central Ohio, go see Doug. I know him well. And Charlie Cecil, his mm-hmm. CEO, we served mm-hmm. together on CBAO board, so I know Charlie very well as well. So thanks again for coming in and appreciate you driving the bus. Yeah, glad to be a part of it.